Hi, welcome to the Melrose Show. Melrose here. If you've listened to this intro before, you can click the forward button now eight times to get to the start of this episode. So before this version of myself, I was an artist, fashion designer, professional model, TV personality, small business owner, real estate agent, placement agent, and an institutional financial advisor, all before stepping into my current role, which I love in investor relations and podcasting professional. It was a wild ride to get here. And after all those jobs, living in six countries, 16 different cities, and trying on many versions of myself, I have found that the best place to live is comfortably in my purpose and in a space and a community that allows me and wants to see me grow. And I want the same for you through my highly versatile career path and working with others on their dreams along the way, I decided to start this podcast to try to help people understand that life is not a race, it's a marathon, career is not a ladder, it's a jungle gym, and that I really believe truly the best way in life is following curiosity. My curiosity has me focused on career, plants, shadow light and integration work, art, permaculture, and community building. These are my purposes in life. And for me, they all go together. They're topics that we will explore together throughout time on this podcast. And I come here to connect you to unique ideas from incredible people. The aim is to help us all grow more into our purpose-driven lives. This podcast supports a community of amazing humans that meet on full moons to howl and heal. We are a global community. Many are interviewed on this podcast. And I invite you to join us offline after the show. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this exploration journey with people from around the world who have self-actualized in their lives in some way. Hopefully, they will inspire you in your own authentic journey. Enjoy! Today, we're joined by Chantal Chapman. She's a money mindset educator, among many other amazing things. And let's get started. Hey, Chantal. calling in of course thank you for having me i'm so excited to talk to you to share your wealth of knowledge Mm -hmm. with everybody i think i'm going to let you introduce yourself because you have so many amazing things going on and i think that you explain them the best um, so yes, my name is Chantal and I run a company called What the Finances and through that company I am a mindful money educator. I also co-own and teach at a school called Trauma of Money. Amazing. And you're based out of Canada, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just outside of Vancouver. Nice. And you are also a Kundalini expert. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I've done I've done about how many hours? Three hundred and twenty hours of Kundalini teacher training. Wow, so cool. And um, I've done two hundred hours of meditation teacher training. So I've done quite a bit of trainings. Um, I don't teach in the capacity that most teachers would teach in. Like they teach at a studio. 
I did the training to integrate it into my work that I do around money education. So if you ever do a program with me, I'm most likely going to give you some pranayama breath work that is pulled from, you know, one of the Kundalini or one of the Eastern traditions. Awesome. Mm-hmm. My gosh. Okay. So both of your companies, what the finances and trauma of money are so fascinating. I was so inspired after we, we spoke before. Um, can you just give us a little explanation about, you know, I guess your background first and how you came to doing money, mindful money education? Yeah, for sure. So um, I started in the finance world at 21 years old. I became a mortgage broker. And um, when you go into that world at 21, nobody takes you seriously. So I went into that world just feeling so incredibly inadequate. So I thought the thing that I needed to do was to become an expert in all things finances. So I spent like probably the first five years of my career just like educating and researching in depth on like every single avenue of finances. Um, and the clients that I was getting in my career, they were typically people who were turned down by other places and I was like their last resort. So as I was working with a lot of people who had some pretty severe financial distress and by working with people like that and just also looking at my own story, I grew up in poverty. I had some pretty, um, toxic money narratives myself. I was like lending out hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars in credit uh, as a mortgage broker, yet I was carrying like quite a bit of credit card debt in my early 20s. So I'm like, there's some major incongruencies here. So uh, yeah, like five years into that point, I was like, you know what? I felt this like very deep sense of injustice that I didn't know enough about money to not make me these mistakes and neither did the clients I was working with. So I decided at that point to start a financial literacy education business. And I thought the best approach was to teach teenagers. Cause I'm like, why don't they teach this in high school? So I did that for about five years. Um, I had a company called Holler for Your Dollar and we were a financial literacy education brand for teenagers. Through that work, which was like felt rewarding in the moment when you go into the classroom and you know the the teenager retains it, but the problem is is if you see a teenager for two hours in their whole like life it it doesn't do much you know mm -hmm. if you can't mm -hmm. compete against like especially now you can't compete against Instagram telling them to buy and you have to have this to to be inadequate and fit into this world right. So right. like my one mes message about like careful of credit card debt, there's no way it could compete about against the consumerism message. So I ended up transitioning my fin financial literacy business to focus on um, millennials, like adults, because a lot of people were coming to me like, I need this education that you're teaching. So I was doing that for a while. I was teaching financial literacy at a very kind of normal level that you would see like in the media, like five steps to increase your credit score or like, this is how you get started with investing. And I, um, I kind of realized I, I had a bit of a talent for taking complicated content and making it relatable. So um, I started, I actually pivoted my financial literacy education business and I started um, consulting for financial brands to help 
because like educational content was the thing back then. So mm. I basically would go into financial brands and I would help them create like an educational content strategy to position them as like a financial literacy thought leader. So I was doing that in my business for a while. And then I ended up consulting for Canada's biggest fin fintech company for five years. And I worked um, directly with their CEO. I helped them. I was the lead on building Canada's first digital mortgage experience with free credit score. I was the lead on um, building Canada's first free credit score. So in the U.S., you know, U.S. had like Credit Karma and Rocket Mortgages well before Canada had this. So we came a little bit after. Uh, so I did that. I was like consulting for this public company in finance. And while I was doing that, I was incredibly overworked. And um, I basically overworked myself so much that I was exhausted. And when we're exhausted, it almost seems like it's like when it rains, it pours, like all these other things started coming to my coming to the surface. So um, I started feeling like quite a bit of anxiety and depression. And there was some issues within my relationship. And my someone in my family, um, came forward with a heroin addiction. So like all this stuff was like coming to the surface. And so I basically went to India for two, for a month for a break. And um, that was my second time in India doing uh, this education around breath and mindfulness. And while I was in India, I just had this major like breakdown, AKA breakthrough that I needed to like completely uh, deconstruct my approach to financial education, deconstruct the way I was showing up in my life as far as my career and my relationship. So I emptied my cup of everything I was doing. I ended a nine-year relationship. I ended that five-year consulting gig. And I just went right back to being a beginner and just started fresh. And I relaunched my brand as What the Finance Is. And I did... Um, a little bit more, I wouldn't say a little bit more, quite a lot more research around the world around addiction, trauma, um, psychotherapy, psychology, behavioral science. And I basically brought all of those modalities together. And through these lenses, this is how I now educate about money. And then fast forward uh, about two years, uh, I partnered with a psychotherapist to bring all this work together. And we launched the Trauma of Money program, which goes really in depth on like teaching about money from this deeper level. So those things that I mentioned about like ways just to invest, how to improve your credit score, those are incredibly important. But the issue is, is it's very challenging for us to even interact at that level until we heal some of the foundational beliefs first. So I'm really like step zero before, you know, someone wants to go on the journey of like improving their finances or building a portfolio. So you guys, it's a 10 week course, right? You offer it a couple times a year. Mm -hmm. And you guys have different speakers and basically people 
um, can come on there and you essentially are teaching them that their traumas can affect their financial lives and their earning power. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's so much, there's so much indirect data about this out there. Like, let's talk about NFL players. Okay. It's a pretty well-known fact that NFL players, um, I think this stat is around like 70 something percent of them after their after their they retire they end like 70 something percent of them end up in bankruptcy or major major financial distress oh that's a really high number and you would think well maybe they just like didn't have access to intelligent people as investors like no are you kidding me these people have a lot of money they have access to very intelligent advisors and investors and that's not really what the issue is. The issue is, is there's probably some narrative there that wants to keep them where they were at prior to hitting fame and, and accessing all the new money that they have, right? So we tend to kind of like go back to our, our original money story. So like if we grew up in poverty or if we grew up with lack, we might fall back into that even if we have money because um, that's where our consciousness is really sitting. So it's really about like healing that so you cannot play small anymore and grow into what you're meant to grow into. Now we, um, through like my years of research, I had people come to me and they were always like, I'm so bad at financial literacy. And, and there was so much shame around this. And there was shame for this one reason, like I'm bad at financial literacy. I'm through exploration, what we actually found is there's a six pillar model um, that impacts your relationship with money. So there's six elements, not just financial literacy. The first is generational trauma. So what, what type of trauma has your ancestors experienced? What about your mother or your grandmother? Like inherited money trauma. Yeah, yeah. Not just inherited money trauma. And this is the thing where like people kind of get hung up when we say the trauma of money. It's not like trauma specifically to do with money. It's more trauma to do with a sense of worth. Got it. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So like, for example, um, let's say that, uh, <sighs> you know, your grandmother had an alcoholic father who basically belittled her as a child. And she grows up with this like um, an imbalanced sense of worth, right? So she's raising your mother. You know, we, th we know through the study of epigen epigenetics that um, you are already part of your grandmother in her womb. Um, and it's pat and this trauma can actually be passed on. So through the lens of epigenetics, but also through the lens of environment, if one traumatized person raises another, then that trauma is going to be passed down through the environment, not just on the, the epigenetic level. Mm. So, yeah. And it's really interesting. Like when I work with clients, I also can see like right away, I can tell if their parents immigrated to us or canada by the, wow. their behaviors it's yeah there's like really 
like obvious behavioral signals about, you know, like immigration trauma, such wow. as like, gosh, oh, crazy. yeah, such as, um, a lot of my clients that I work with who, um, their parents immigrated, they always feel like they're never working hard enough. Mm. Like, they're never working hard enough because they grew up watching a parent struggle. It was like blood, sweat, and tears to bring home the bread. You know what I mean? So there's six of these pillars? Yes, that's the first one. The second one is relational trauma. So this, this is really the bucket that encompasses any type of tra traumatic experience that you encounter in your own life. So... We need to define trauma here. So when we hear trauma, we think like something big and bad happened. But I like to, you know, explain that trauma is just a wounding. It's something that happened to you or something that didn't happen to you that basically um, impacted your sense of safety and your sense of love and worthiness in that moment. Okay. Mm. Um also, little traumas can happen to us over and over again as a child that seems so insignificant, but there's a lot of psychologists that are now researching this new um, view of trauma called CPSD, Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, and this is where they see like little tiny um, uh tiny, tiny, like trauma incidences that happen over and over and over again, that basically make us develop this like ongoing, you know, ongoing state of like, I can um, move into fight or flight or freeze very quickly. Cause I'm like, just on edge ready for it. Wow. Yeah. So this is relational trauma. Again, it could be something as simple as you went to a birthday party at seven years old and you wore a t-shirt with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on it and everyone's like, that's not cool anymore. And people made fun of you at the birthday party. Um, another source of trauma that is really interesting is math trauma. Oh my gosh. Ah. Like math trauma through elementary school. So when I was in elementary school, the teachers loved to do timed multiplication tables in front of the class, meaning you have to, you have to get in front of the class and there's a timer and you have to answer the multiplication tables as fast as you could. Now, I know personally for me, that was so incredibly challenging and um, I, had, I had some pretty severe childhood trauma. Childhood trauma does impact the brain. It impacts a certain area of the brain called the Broca's area, for example, which um, uh, has to do with your ability to speak and articulate. So if you ever are like called on the spot and your trauma is triggered, you literally cannot find the words because of what has, has been impacted in your brain. Wow. So, yes. And there's like tons of research on like what these trauma events does to their brain. It's, it's, it's deactivating some areas. It overactivates other areas. So I have, I see a lot of people who have trauma from their early education experiences because the way educators used to work, it, it was really like this, like authoritarian, you know, right. call you out quick, 
you know, you're good or you're bad type approach. Hit you with a ruler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, one of our teachers at the Trauma of Money, Dr. Bruno Demichelis, he's a world-renowned sports psychologist, and he's he's worked with, like, David Beckham on mindset and, like, you know, really well-known athletes on mindset. And he said to me one time, he goes, you know, I think – I think some of these educators should be in prison for um, crimes against humanity totally. because the, the, you know, that approach with a child can impact that child for the rest of their life can impact their sense of worth at such a deep level. Yeah. Our society just does not place a high enough value on educators. <laughs> yeah, any- no, exactly. That's the problem. Exactly. So that's the second area. Okay. Yeah. The third area is um, my favorite topic, societal trauma. Um, So societal trauma is basically, uh, we could also call it societal influences or societal programming or societal conditioning. Mm. This is um, where you get... uh, where you get like narratives imprinted on you from the world that you live in. So from society. So Instagram is a really good example of societal trauma. Um, You know, if you're constantly engaging with consumerism messages all day and consumerism is so fascinating, super, super fascinating. If you want to like nerd out about it, watch this documentary called um, the century of self on BBC And it's basically the history of PR and consumerism. And so Freud, uh, who we know, very famous psychologist, believed that man's or people's sole desire was to satisfy pleasure. Like that's that's people's sole motivation was to satisfy pleasure. This was his entire theory of psychology. It's very interesting because Freud's nephew um, is actually the like person who founded the industry of public relations. And uh-huh. Freud's, yeah, Freud's nephew came to the US, founded this industry of public relations. He used Freud's view on psychology um, and worked with corporations to, to basically create messages to convince consumers to buy. And the whole basis of these messages were like people's only um, sole like mission in life is to access pleasure. So part of these corporate messages was convincing people that like the whole meaning and the whole way to access a happy life is through pleasure. When we hear that type of message, and we believe that it's pleasure only pleasure all the time. What happens when our other emotions arise like pain or boredom or inadequacy? We are ill-equipped to deal with them because we're taught to soothe ourselves with something to go right into pleasure. And one of my teachers, Dr. Gabor Mate, who's an incredible educator um, and doctor that studies addiction, he defines addiction as this. When I do something over and over again to decrease pain and increase pleasure in the moment, but it has negative consequences. Mm, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So overspending is a financial disorder and it's actually as common as anxiety and depression in North America. Mm, Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. So overspending is a financial disorder and it's actually as common as anxiety and depression in North America, which we know anxiety and depression is an epidemic. So is overspending. Overspending is really, isn't a really interesting behavior because tip most overspending happens, uh, through Dr. Gabor Mate's definition of addiction. I'm spending to decrease pain and increase pleasure in the moment, but it has negative consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is just fascinating. And something you said the last time we talked, which I do want to say out loud, because I do think that so many women do experience this. Well, clearly with the number you told me, they do experience this. And it, I think it totally is a societal trauma that affects our money is that one um, in three women in North America are sexually abused. Yes. Yeah. And that and actually bumps. like what? I'm not yeah. alone. You know? Yeah. At all. Yeah. 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 And you know, what's really sad is a lot of people who work in the field of sexually sexual abuse uh, believe, believe that that stat is low. They believe it's more like two and three. Yeah, um, I would I would probably say two and three just because it's so wide. But I would say feeling the feeling of being sexually violated. It doesn't have to be rape. It doesn't have to be molestation. It can literally just feel like you had something happen to you that you did not want to happen. And it's going to be something that you think about to the point where it is detrimental to different parts of your life. Exactly. I'm so glad you brought this up because... What is this? What is this type of trauma due to our relationship with money? Well, I mean, if you've been violated, if you've been violated and someone has accessed your sense, has not only accessed, but um, impinged and oppressed your sense of self, um, when you show up in the world around money, you may show up through that lens. Like, let's talk about charging or putting a quote together for a client. Maybe that client is a male authority figure. And all of a sudden you notice that like, you feel so nervous about putting together your quote. Well, you might be experiencing some of that trauma uh, that you had in that, that sexual abuse scenario. <laughs> Another thing is, um, you know, being able to speak your truth. Like oftentimes someone who was sexually abused was, was told, do not tell anyone this. And if it happened to you as a child too, this is an authority figure telling you it's wrong to tell, tell someone something about this. Yet your little intuition inside of you is like, I feel like what they're saying is wrong, but he's the adult. So I should believe him. And then all of a sudden you start, you grow up, start starting to question your own intuition. So you, you, you show up to places and you know, something's not right, but you, you've, you've learned to suppress your, your voice. Your throat chakra is like completely shut down. Totally. Yeah. And not only that, you don't trust your own intuition. Right. So, so these are two, like not having access to your voice and not trusting your intuition will, will really impact your relationship with money. It might be why you've been afraid to ask for a raise. It might be why you don't want to follow up on your invoices. 
it might be why you know you are afraid to put your 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 brand that you're pa so passionate about out there on social media to promote it. Mm. You know, wow. there's yeah, so it runs pretty deep, and um, yeah, that that definitely falls in the realm of. I think that falls in the realm of like the three levels of trauma. So there's relational sexual abuse is definitely relational, but it could be generational in your family as well. You could, your grandmother could have been sexually abused and you could be feeling the impacts of that. Um, or, and another thing too, that one of we, I interviewed this woman who's a sexual abuse trauma expert and she talks too about from the sexual abuse from the generational trauma aspect is the sexual crimes like back in the day of our grandmothers were much more severe. Oh, like, right. Much more severe. Right. Right. So um, there's and that. And I couldn't talk about it. And you were completely silenced. Or, yeah, or yeah. you could get killed, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's truly life or death. And um, and then you're right, it's societal trauma because it's happened to so many women. I wonder if somebody who had this relationship oriented, maybe not necessarily from, but if someone who had had a relationship um, psychology, you know, soul motivation, family member go and found public relations, how would our society be progressing? How would consumerism look? I think maybe that's why you do see on social media. And I kind of started hearing this term a while ago where people go, you can't just sell a product anymore. You have to sell an experience because people are buying into tribe now. People are buying into um, a story. People want the information. I don't want to support a, like something that's founded on the principles of only trying to satisfy my pleasure. I want something that is trying to help the world in some way that's trying to empower women that's trying to save animals i need like some backstory that i can feel like i'm a part of that if i'm going to give you my money because otherwise i'm going to invest it you know yeah yeah but you're you are uh you are a conscious individual right so right, right. that's true and as you improve your consciousness you're you're you become more of a conscious consumer so your desire to consume has different motivations like eric right. says the the uh relational piece or you know victor frankel um who wrote a man's search for meaning says that um in a opposition of what freud said um, our soul motivation is meaning. So if, if you're more aligned, if your consciousness is more at that level, you're, you're, con you're going to consume in a way that's so much more purpose-driven and so, so much more aligned to your meaning, which is beautiful. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with consuming. There's nothing wrong with like consumerism. It's, it's just, it needs to be like reimagined. Re it needs to be reimagined to what you described where it's like, you know, I want to invest in something that is, is connected to my values. Right. I mean, it's almost like these guys are like different level of consciousness, right? So like Freud's the base, he's like just pleasure. It's kind of like your chakras, right? Like you're like, okay, one's pleasure, one's relationships, one's like higher purpose and self-actualization and meaning. And it's like, which guru do you want to kind of follow? But which one actually leads you with a quality of lifestyle that is sustainable exactly and, uh, building companies and societies that are progressive and sustainable
Yeah, exactly. And also I think like, yeah, that's so interesting that you said that there's also um, Adler, who is another psychologist that said that man, the purpose is power. So Freud was pleasure. He Adler was power. Fromm was relationships and Frankel was meaning. And it's almost like the thing is, is, um, I feel like I'm, I'm very much like, I always have this like holistic approach and, you know, not wanting to bypass like my human experience and part of my, part of my human experience includes pleasure. Part of my human experience includes relationships. And then there's this like elevated level of consciousness that is all about, um, uh, the meaning piece, right? So it's kind of just like honoring where you're at and, and in the moment and being able to have this like holistic, almost even neutral view to all of it. Yeah, I agree with that. And I even think for power, it's like when you stop trying to take other people's power and you start tapping into your own and you stop like feeding one power monster and you actually create like a power, you cultivate like personal power like where you feel empowered, you know, to pursue like higher versions of yourself or more con contributing versions of yourself. I totally agree with that holistic approach. And I think like taking a step back and looking at yourself realistically kind of helps. But like you were saying, back to these like pillars that, you know, huge, sometimes we don't even know that we have these traumas. It's just like, there's so many societal traumas and programming, you know, <laughs> like there's just totally, I mean, I love your reframe on power. Wow. That's so beautiful. Like from oh. like, cause power, power feels like outward, like more, I want power over and empowered feels, wow. Like what a beautiful reframe. I just wanted to acknowledge that. Oh, thank you. You know, I honestly have started with this. I try to take words and see when you can, you know, find beauty in, in these words ever since reading this book called Cunt. And it, it basically talks about how the word used to just mean vagina and it was bastardized in the witch hunts um, and how it actually is crazy to take the most beautiful thing in the world and make it the dirtiest word possible. It's just another way to manipulate women and make them feel horrible about themselves. So when we talk about power, it's like, yeah, of course there's a side of power that's horrible, but there is a, a side of power that is majorly, profoundly impactful, which is our own power, not playing the power games with other people, playing it with ourselves, put, turning it inward and cultivating true power within yourself to get through whatever life is handling, handing you because we're infinite sources of energy, you know? And if you're not playing power energy wars with other people or situations, you can start playing it with yourself and really grow it in a super positive way. That's so beautiful and so profound. Agreed. Oh. Yay. Say. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I feel bad if you tell all six pillar models on here, because I feel like that's your whole business. You know, do you want to do that or should we cut it off at three or what, what, what do you, how do you see talking about the rest of that? Oh, I don't, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about the other three. I won't go deep into it. Like I went into the other ones, but the, the, um, 
The fourth one is systemic trauma, systemic injustices. So just understanding that there are certain systems in place that elevate others and marginalize others. And awesome. so true. Yeah. Systemic injustices are things that I think a lot of privileged people choose to not um, agree with, even though they're so blatantly yeah. obvious. Yeah, absolutely. You, you exactly just like summarized a really good example of systemic injustice um, in regards to money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next one is um, the laws of nature. So this is just like seeing money through the lens of like basically quantum theory, quantum physics, um, as well as other laws of nature, other laws of physics. Um, so here we explore like really like manifesting. Um, and then, and like the law of resonance. And then the last one is financial literacy. So financial literacy is an important part of this model, obviously, but I always save it for the end because like we want to build a really good, strong foundation that's not like filled with cognitive distortions. Totally. Um, so you can actually go and work with your money. And, and I'm sure you see this right now um, in the work that you do, like it's panic time and people are like wanting to sell things and maybe not invest right now because of the fear. Right. So totally. this, this is not like not completely the most informed approach with your finances, but it's all because they have, they haven't acknowledged like where they're at with their, the narrative that's like influencing the behavior. Totally. And I think when people get to the point where they're working with financial advisors, they are actually at a place where they understand the market cycles and they understand what a long-term, you know, perspective on your investments are versus, you know, need for like short-term liquidation. And, and yeah. I think that that's an advantage to having financial literacy is understanding those things. And the, for me, the sheer inability for people to access financial literacy from like until they're like in their 20s essentially for all the reasons that you listed is part of the problem i teach financial literacy to like elementary school kids once a month and it is exhausting and i'm like no wonder people don't want to do this because it is really hard but it's something that needs to be taught from you know elementary school on it's and it's not in our public school curriculums and i think that's a huge problem yeah, it is a huge issue. I'm like gardening and financial literacy needs to be a curriculum. You need to know how to grow your own food. You need to know how hard it is to grow your own food, to appreciate food. You need to grow your own money. You need to know how hard it is to make money. You know, these are things that should be taught from a very young age that we just, you know, all of a sudden expect people to know about when they're adults and it doesn't, ha it doesn't just happen. The thing that I always tell like our students um, is there's no, like when it comes to your money, there's really no right or wrong way. It's like the, the skill that you want to develop is discernment. You want to mm. develop the ability to like know how to go inwards, know how to listen to your intuition, know how to get into, you know, your like regulated place within your nervous system. So you're not like, hyper or hypo aroused 
And when you're in that point, know how to cultivate um, like deeper levels of awareness and collect data and then be discerning and make a decision that's based on like you and what you feel and what you believe. And it's like outside of the programming that you're receiving from all these other different angles. So that's like my one thing is like, learn how to be more discerning. I say this a lot, you know, like, you know, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but you do know how to feel and you do know how to access your intuition. It's unfortunately something that you have to kind of over time grow um, and focus on. But I do think deep down, like we, we do, we do need to learn how to do that, but we also know how to do that. No, yeah. 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 It's just um, like, it's like, there's like a bit of a, cl a cleaning uh, that has to happen so we mm. can get in touch with it again, you know, and the cleaning is like moving through the cognitive distortions that come from, um, you know, trauma beliefs, societal narratives, these different levels of programming, you know? So true. I, um, I wanted to ask you, like, if, if you could go back to before you even ever started your career, like, what would you, what do you wish you knew? You know, what would you tell you? What, besides discernment, like, what do you wish you knew about business? Um, I would tell myself, like, don't care what people think as much. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I would tell myself. No, it's such good advice. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. Go on. Oh, I was just going to say, I would, the reason why I would say that is because like, I think a lot of the, the, um, choices I've made, um, that, you know, not like I regret, but like there could have been a, maybe a better way. <laughs> um, they, they happen because of like these like codependency beliefs um, mm -hmm. really like prioritizing other people's comfort over my own and just like trying to play small because my trauma told me that's where it was the safest and that mm -hmm. manifested into like really caring what others think. And I think, you know, I'm 37 years old and I've, I've had a really, um, fruitful journey of like darkness and light and I'm grateful for it because I've learned so like so much wisdom in, in my journey um, and I know I can will continue to so I'm not like wishing I could have sped that up but I mean if I if there was one way to speed it up it would have been like not caring as much of what people right think. it would have been a shorter yeah. path like the same yeah distance. totally yeah. totally but, but why do we want a shorter path like uh, that's exactly right and I was gonna say you just reminded me of something I wanted to say which was that um like a lot of times um one of my friends told me this uh recently and she was like you know a lot of the people that when you go and they're really influential or they built something really amazing if you ask them that question they say well to be honest like most of the people would not give back the tough stuff. No. You know, because yeah. it really got them to where they're going. So I guess that's something good for people to hear if they're 
in a hard spot because it's like, this is the part that makes you, you know, that makes oh the, my God, that yeah. makes the revelations come to your mind, you know? My, uh, one of my teachers, his name's Tommy Rosen. He owns a company called Recovery 2.0. So I, I attend like um, recovery I'm like part of a recovery community for Al-Anon and codependency and like adult child of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. And that's been like really great in my, you know, my unlearning. And uh, he says that like, I love this. He says that in like the darkest moments where we really hit rock bottom, we call this God, the gift of desperation because at that moment in the like darkest place is when you're finally willing to tell the truth. And at that point where you're finally willing to tell the truth or like see the truth is where you shift. That's where you shift and you, you move to a different state of consciousness. Right. It's so true. Sometimes it's like, there's a sense of relief when you hit it. Cause you're like, okay, this is, this, this is where I'm going to start building from because to me, this is the absolute, like, rock, you know? Yeah, it's like a full surrendering where you get to be a beginner again. It's like yeah. you get to be curious. You get to be creative. You, there, you get to, like, you get to be like, I don't know. I'm just figuring it out. Like, wow, yeah. some of the pressure is off. Yeah, you actually, like, jump on the, like, I'm going to start the forgiveness process now you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So beautiful. Um, I do too. I love talking to you. I feel like I could talk to you for like a month. Straight. <laughs> um, I like, we'll probably end up going and doing like a meditation silent retreat after like the 5 million conversations we hopefully have in the future, but. Oh, I'm um, so, I'm so into this. <laughs> I know. Get I it really, on the calendar. I know that you in quarantine, people are having more vivid dreams. People are recording more dreams because I think people are sleeping like longer because they don't have to get up, you know, necessarily to like get to work on time. So yeah, people are sleeping longer, but they're having more vivid dreams. Um, but you, your dream, when you said something that like has really stuck with me and you said it was just the point where your soul wants you to get your shit together. That's when you like get these visions. Yeah. And I would just love if you were fine, if you're, cool with sharing it like yeah, what your dream was and like yeah. what, how you read it because I found the way that you read the dream so interesting yeah of course so um I uh I was in India for like three weeks and I was doing hours upon hours of meditation and breath practices every day so um it was I was just like I was so much more in tuned in in that point and um I uh I had a class with my teacher we were doing like a hip opening class and this is I don't think I told you this part of the story but I don't think you did um so he told us to bend from our hips and I'm like bending from my hips and he's like Chantal you're not bending from your hips you're like bending from your lower back and my brain could not connect what he was saying. Like, and so I, in that moment, I'm like, oh my God, I have so much disassociation from my hips. Like I can't even bend from my hips. So he came over and he, he like with permission pushed me into the position 
And as soon as I went into that position, I basically collapsed and I was like crying. Oh. And he's like, let's talk afterwards. And so afterwards we chatted and, you know, I, I was talking to him a little bit about some like trauma around there and, and, um, and then just like we were talking about my current relationship, I was engaged and, and something was just not feeling right. So that night I go to sleep and I have this incredibly vivid dream. And um, in Jungian psychology, so Carl Jung, um, he was all about like decoding dreams. Cause he says that like our dreams basically is our soul trying to tell us like, it's time to get your shit together. Like I said, especially if we get like a, a vivid vision that shows up in a dream or like even in the waking state, it's a message that like our soul is trying to tell us. And, and often it has to do with like our process of individuation. And that's like, that's basically the process of connecting to like a capital S self. So I had this dream and I could not unsee this dream. Like it was just so powerful. And basically what this dream was is I was back home in Canada and I was pregnant and I was with a partner who is actually in India. It wasn't my current relationship. And, um, this pregnancy made me feel like liberated and mm. it was like this liberation that I've never felt before. Like almost like I felt like whole. And so I woke up the next day and immediately I'm like, I have to end my relationship. And the reason why is because like right away, it was obvious to me in that relationship, my partner had kids and I wasn't even allowed to talk about like the possibility of having kids. It was off the table. Mm. So that dream made me feel like I want the possibility. Like I just, I don't know if I want this, but I want the possibility. Yeah. You want the option? <clears throat> you were with him no. for nine years, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, that just is not congruent. Right. So mm. I wanted the possibility. The second thing is that was really interesting is um, I didn't I didn't consider like the child being pregnant was like what would make me whole. It was almost like this like impregnation of like my own internal wholeness. Um, and like if I broke from the past traumas and the past narratives, then then I could be whole and liberated. Like it was like, it, it was like already in me. And it was just this very strong, like vision of freedom. So I went home from India. And like I said, like I changed my, my working situation. I ended the relationship and I completely adjusted and I have no regrets because like that vision was just so, so powerful. And, and if you are interested in like dream analysis, um, there's this amazing podcast called This Union Life. And it's, a, it's kind of a little bit heady. It can be dry in the beginning, but they mm -hmm. always analyze dreams at the end. So you could submit your dream if you have like a really vivid dream that you want analyzed. Um, but in Union psychology, they believe that every character in the dream is um, a part of your own psyche. Yes, I've heard so, that. 
Yeah. So like the baby that I was pregnant with was part of me that like the, that was like me birthing my own freedom, my own liberation from the suffering that I was basically creating because I wanted to stay in victim consciousness. Mm, oh my gosh. It's like so profound and amazing. And I love when people listen to their dreams, you know, <laughs> cause it's like, yeah. they are trying to tell you something in my opinion. take this moment to give all your tags and your tell us about your podcast and where people can sign up for trauma of money when your next session is going to be and like when when they when in the year you kind of do them so people know when to sign up yeah thank you so much for that so um yeah so trauma of money is in session right now but we're going to do another cohort in september most likely so the best way is to just sign up for our newsletter and then you'll get alerted um, we'll probably start taking names to sign up in June. Um, and, uh, I also, yeah, like my, what the finances business is basically the business that I do coaching through, um, or, uh, speaking engagements. And, um, I am on a podcast and it's called whipped cream, whipped cream radio, women inspiring purpose and passion. Um, it's not my podcast. It's actually, um, I'm just the co-host on it. So my co-host Bianca has a, a community for women called Whip Wellness. And she's in the sixth season of the podcast and I joined two seasons ago. So it's, it's a pretty fun podcast. And yeah. And I also have an online course called Mindful Money, if anyone's interested. And it's through a website called schoolbykp.com, which is another business that I own. And what's your personal IG? It's at Chantel Chapman, C-H-A-N-T-E-L-C-H-A-P-M-A-N. That's actually the best place to like find me because in my bio, I have a, my table of contacts of all the things I'm doing. So so I'm going to put all the links in there, but I, that is how I followed all of those things was, but just by going to your Instagram. So I feel like that's probably the easiest way for people to kind of uh, check you out and, and then, and then follow whichever one suits them or all of them like I did because now I'm obsessed with you. Um, Aww, right back at you. <laughs> I want to I make one thing clear about trauma of money that you can go to it no matter like what your, your, um, like what your levels are. But one of the things you told me is that um, you really, this is really helpful for people who are in the financial services industry who are in um, the psychology industry. Yeah. So we have two programs. We have like a public program just to heal your own relationship with money. And then we have, um, a facilitator certification program. So if you are a psych, a psych, a psychotherapist or a counselor in Canada, um, and you take our program, you'll get your, you'll get like continuing education credits with the board. We're trying to get the same accreditation in the U.S. We're just working on that right now. Um, and then if, you're, if you work in the finance world, we have quite a few students right now who are like finance coaches or advisors or even work at banks taking the program because it just helps you be um, that much more empathetic with your clients um, because we're really exploring, like, you know, we had a class on Wednesday and we did an exercise 
that's specifically about like how to ask the right questions when someone is kind of dancing around um, an issue about their finances and like how to how to prompt your client to dig deeper and so you guys can resolve and like come to an outcome that's like beneficial to the client. So this is an example of like one of the exercises and the tools that you'll learn that's actually really good as a financial advisor or someone working with clients and their finances because oftentimes like a client will be like, well, I don't really want to do that or whatever, but they're making that decision based on fear. It's not an informed decision. So if you just bypass that, you might be doing your client a disservice. Totally. And I think, you know, I had to go to sales training for what I'm doing now as a financial advisor. And I will say that I do think some of the ways of trying to generate a book of business in this industry can be very, I hate to say it, but masculinized in a yeah. sense, like that old PR, like, you know, kind of way. And I think that this yeah. is, this is a more how to really figure out how to service your client with what they truly need, you know, <laughs> not yeah, like, yeah. you know, everyone can use a financial advisor. Everyone can use a financial plan, but having somebody who's willing to take the time and get to know you and understand your relationship with, you know, all those different pillars and, you know, themselves is, is that really matters. So I, I yeah, think that that's yeah. awesome. I'm excited to do it. Um, yeah. yeah, we're excited to have you. Yeah. Um, okay. So last couple questions. Um, if you could have like one giant magical blessing come down for one of your businesses or something like that, like what would it be? Oh my God, this is such a hard question because <laughs> I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot actually. And it's so interesting to, um, explore this because I will have a desire for my business and then I'll look at it and be like, whoa, that's so ego-based. Right. right? Uh, yeah, yeah, like I'll be like, um, I'll be like, uh, okay, here's an example. <laughs> I'm going to get really vulnerable here. <laughs> um, so there, there's a few like, there's, um, there's a few pretty well-known financial personalities in the media um, yep. in the U.S. and Canada that I've actually mentored and um, that have come to me when they had to do like segments asking for the expertise and then I teach them and they go on and do the segment. And I sometimes notice that I get like really resentful of this. Cause I'm like, what? Like I, I'm the, like, this is my research. You know, one of them actually wrote a book and, uh, I gave them a bunch of research and it wasn't even credited to me properly. Right. Uh. So I, I, I start looking at that. I'm like, I want that. Like, I want to be the person in the, like, who's like quoted in the media. Right. Cause yeah. I know I have the competency. And then, so I feel like, well, if only like the New York times will write about me or if only, you know, like this media outlet will write about my brand. Um, every, my, my brand will be so much more successful, well-known. And I'm like, right. where is that coming from? Right? <laughs> like where, where is that actually coming from? So that desire is coming from a place of feeling like insecure and inferior. Right. 
And then I, and then I also noticed there's like feelings of jealousy towards these people that I, I helped and worked with them. And we had this same objective. We, we all want to help alleviate people from their suffering around finances. So I then go back into that, that objective. What's our purpose? We're all doing, trying to do the same thing. Like I need to clap for these women or these they're not all women, but some are, I need to clap for them. And, and just remember, we're all trying to do the same thing. So anyways, and that was a long like, answer to your question. <laughs> no. And also I feel like it's, if you shift your mindset to, you know, Hey, do you mind if I like highlight you on my social? Because we, you know, we did work together on this and I want people to know that we're connected. I think that people will often be really grateful that you're even paying attention to them because everyone kind of has this desire to be um, valued for what they're spending their time doing. You know, I think I I definitely talked with one of my other friends about your lot, the thing you told me with laws of resonance. And I was like, so excited to get on this call with you to like go into more detail. But I honestly think we could have an entire podcast just on that. Um, Yeah, totally. But, but I do think, I think that we are just so brainwashed by Instagram. So I feel like yeah. love that you got to that conclusion where it's like, we're all on the same team. You are somebody who people that are within the media value and look up to for direction and advice and, and actually furthering their research and what they can talk about that interests people to get them into finance. So it's awesome. You could shift from that like ego to like your seated self's like mission. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then when I'm in that more clear place, like this is an example of cognitive distortions taking over when I'm in that more clear place, I'm like championing them. Right. And I'm feeling so much more inspired and better about my business. And, and then what happens is my desire changes. Now I'm like, I don't care if I'm there, like they're doing it. They're getting the message out. That's fine. Like we're all fighting the same fight. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally get it. But so would your magical blessing be a New York Times write-up? No, it wouldn't. Would you still would... want that? Because like, I think we're going to ask for things on this podcast and get them. So like, what's the thing that maybe, okay, so that's, that's your ego desire that we're like not really feeding. But if somebody wants to write her up in the New York Times, we're not telling you not to. <laughs> but um, like, I guess what, like, what would happen? What would be one thing that could happen to one of your businesses that would um, allow you, like, to grow even bigger or to pivot in a direction that you think would serve you more? Like, I don't know. Is that or do or maybe the answer is that you are like exactly where you need to be, which I also love that answer. Um, I think it's a bit of both. I really appreciate where I'm at. Um, you know what I would love? I would love to have, um, I would love to have a Ted talk that has a lot of views and then it gets banned. (laughs) (laughs) That is hilarious, but I can totally see trauma of money being on a Ted talk, like a hundred percent. I, Ted, Ted radio hour I listen to all the time, but why would it be, why would you want it to be banned? (laughs) Because it's like, it's like so controversial about like what we, the programming that exists in this world. (laughs) I think, I think it would probably get a million hits and then be like, 
you know, like it would stay up forever because it's just, you're not doing something that I don't feel like what you're doing is controversial. I think it's very much educational and factually driven. Yeah, so. I think so too. But there's this like very rebellious side of me that is like, <laughs> I like it. I didn't, it's so funny. Like all of a sudden, like I can envision you, like your blonde hair and like your like sweet voice, like just like at a like grunge punk rock show with me. I don't know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> totally. I'm you're a rebellious like, basic bitch. <laughs> so what you're saying is that you're a party girl who evolved. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. <laughs> um. Or anything that I didn't ask you, but I should have, that you'd like to, or anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to say? Um, I think the... I guess I'd like to end on with just like acknowledging you for putting this podcast together and the community that you're growing for women. And um, yeah, that's the only thing that I think I want, I want to say is thank oh. you. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for acknowledging the circle. I'm so happy you're, you're in it and I'm just like, you've been honestly one of the most fascinating financial um, focused, finance, financial wellness people that I've come across. And I'm just so grateful that you could come on Aww. here today and share, share some of your story. And I can't wait to keep in, in touch and see what else that you have in store. Nothing in this podcast is a recommendation. Hey, all you sea stars, goddesses, naiads, and Neptunes, aka the paradisiacs who care about the important stuff. I hope you all found some inspiration today, and I hope to have your beautiful souls back for our next episode. This podcast supports a beautiful group of humans who gather on full moons, and to find a link for Howl and Heal, and for our website with these episodes, details, and blog, head to themelroseshow.com. You can also connect with me on IG at Melrose Wild or at the Melrose Podcast. Again, this is Melrose. I hope after you listen to this conversation, you feel some magic brewing in your own destiny. Thank you for listening and please subscribe or follow us to get updates on new episodes. And if you love this podcast, the best compliment is to rate us with five stars and maybe leave a little love note about how this podcast might be helping you. Have a wonderful day and may the forces of wholeness and growth be with you all. Thank you.